championship on the line right here. He's going for the corner. He's got it. Hello and welcome to 4th and 5, your Longhorn Nation podcast. I'm your host, Will Bazer, and I'm joined alongside by Mr. Jacob Dedimore. And today, Jason Chilton is out with some baby troubles, so we wish him all the best. But we have the godfather of Texas media, the, the Rose Bowl of Texas football media, Mr. <laughs> Steve Ross. Steve, how are you doing? Oh, I'm doing well, gentlemen, gentlemen. I use the term loosely. Um, getting ready for this Saturday, actually. Yeah, I think we all are. I After that game against Louisiana, I think everybody sort of has this cautious optimism to them, just waiting yeah. for the other shoe to drop, because that is what being a football fan for the Longhorns has been for the past decade and, and really for most of Texas football's history is, is waiting for that other shoe to drop. So today we're going to go over the Louisiana game, give our thoughts on that game, then talk about the Arkansas game. And that's why we have Mr. Steve Ross here to give us sort of a little historical breakdown of this game and what is behind this game. Then we'll go into the offense and the defense of Arkansas and what is waiting for Texas in Fayetteville. Let's go ahead and get right into it. I was talking about that Louisiana game. I mean, can you think of a better way for Steve Sarkeesian to start his career at Texas besides like a 77 to zero win. I, uh, I'm not particularly adept at X and O's. What I like to see are trends and facts as they come out. And here's what I saw. I saw a team that was well-coached, well-prepared. I didn't see anybody finger pointing and trying to get somebody in the correct position defensively or offensively like we've seen for the past 10 years. Mm -hmm. Nobody was running around going, no, 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 you're supposed to be over there. I saw a team that was prepared and emotional, but not out of control. I saw a team that never lost control of the game. There was never any kind of breakdown mentally or physically. Um, I saw an offensive game plan. I personally now, I'm going to say this. I've always thought that Pete K, I'm not going to be able to pronounce his last name, the defensive coordinator. I, I had trouble you. with it last week, Steve, so Thank it's you. okay. <laughs> was the best hire of all. And yes. some people are going to know when I say this. Like He was like Leon Ford. He is a tactician, a coach of fundamentals, maybe doesn't know about recruiting as much as others, but, he, but like Ford, he turns out, pro after pro after pro because he gets them to believe they know the defense, they know where they're supposed to be, and therefore they are free to arrive at the ball angry. That sort of echoes what Keandre Coburn was saying in his interviews this week. Keandre Coburn was saying, this is the most prepared I have felt for any opponent we've ever played. He, he was just raving and raving about how prepared they were for Louisiana. And don't get me wrong, I'm sure that has a lot to do with Kwiatkowski. I think this week we'll find out, is that because they had you know the, the month to prepare for the first game? Or is that Arkansas? I'm assuming, given Pete Kwiatkowski's, all the rewards he has, all the tenure he has, and 
You know, all the accolades he has and he's been given, it's the first one, not the latter. But, you know, I'm interested to see, can he do this two weeks in a row where, you know, you have a team that has a lot of good players coming up. And I think, you know, Louisiana was probably a good dry run for Arkansas, but can you do it two weeks in a row is is what I'm going to be watching for in that defense. I was just going to say the guys had seven years had five number one defenses in the Pac-12. He held Washington State and Mike Leach to an average of 17 points a game. Oh, yeah. No, he's good. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. I think he's good. I'm just, uh, again, I'm I'm a gun-shy, twice-burnt Longhorn fan <laughs> over here. Yes. Uh, Texas fans right now have a lot of PSD going on. PTSD, excuse me. And it's it's understandable there's cautious optimism, but people are waiting for that other shoe to drop. Um, I'm with Steve in the fact that what I watched on Saturday was just something that, especially in a season opener, I have not seen in, I mean, really, probably since 2009. And that was a team that came out, you know, one of the season openers under Herman, you know, the, the, the third year season opener against Louisiana Tech was a solid football game. But other than that, it had been since 2009 since we saw a team come out in game one and look like they were well coached, well taught, well prepared, and ready for the opponent that, that was facing them. Okay, And disciplined. And disciplined, yes. Every bit of it. Because they came out in this game and it looked like nothing surprised them. Okay. They were ready, you know, they they were ready for what they were planning on running, but they were also ready for what the other team was going to throw at them. That's not to say there weren't mistakes. There were. It was a season opener. You're gonna have those. There what that was one of the great things about this game is Texas really from, you know, I would say mid second quarter on early second quarter on was in control of this football game, never really felt like they were going to lose it at any point, but there was still enough in this game on tape for coaches to go after them this week about uh, with mistakes on both sides of the ball. Um, But overall, it was just a great first performance against a team, mind you. And, you know, we knew we were going to hear this, but it was against a team that was, while not, well-known, not well-hyped, was very good. A team that I think would have beaten a whole lot of other ranked teams this past Saturday. Louisiana is a very good football team. No matter how many people who are down on Texas want to poo-poo them after the loss, this is a team that was in the top 15 at the end of the season, ranked coming into last weekend, returning 20 starters. They're very experienced. They are well coached. Louisiana didn't play a very poor football game. Texas just outplayed them. There was one play that summed everything up and was totally different than anything we've seen in the last maybe 20 years. Our freshman quarterback came to the line of scrimmage, looked at the alignment that Louisiana was in, and with the time clock running down, calmly reached behind his back, made one motion, and put our best player in position to score an uncontested touchdown. I damn near cried when I saw that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, the, the shift by the tight ends on that first touchdown of the game mm-hmm. to Bijan Robinson, that was part of the setup. But, yeah, the shift by Hudson Card was definitely one that he made after looking over the defense. You know, and that was – that play <laughs> – that was interesting. That play, I'll just say this, was parallelly close to illegal motion 
because I think the referee gave them a bit of a benefit of the doubt because Bijan never really came set as he shifted forward into the side. But I think the referees just kind of gave him the benefit of the doubt because he was getting set. He just wasn't there. Mm-hmm. And I, I went on the rewatch. I went, man, that could have easily been flagged for illegal motion, <laughs> but it wasn't thankfully. And it was a brilliant play call. Um, and I, I don't, I don't know if I was more impressed by the job the coaching staff did that we ended up seeing on the field or if I was more impressed by that freshman quarterback because he did a fantastic job as well and was much better than I anticipated him being on Saturday. To kind of preface all of my, uh, what's the word I'm looking for here, skepticism, I haven't felt this good about a game since the Notre Dame game. So that's sort of why I'm sitting here being like, yeah, it feels really, really great. Because I felt like, oh, Notre Dame's a really good team. They're a top, you know, they're a top 10 team, and we just beat them in our own house. I feel like I know Louisiana's a good team. And everything would say that Louisiana's a good team. I'm just, you know, it's a week one. I'm just hedging. I'm hedging so hard. I would say this was the best coached performance by a Texas team and I'll and it's since the 2018 season the second year under Tom Herman which was his best by far the OU game that year in Dallas uh, at the Cotton Bowl and then at the end of the season against Georgia in the in the Sugar Bowl that was really the only two times uh, that a Herman team looked as well coached as the one we saw on Saturday yeah and it didn't just look good the numbers the the advanced statistics finally are falling Texas's way. You're talking about, hey, this Hudson Carr, he looked great. Not only did he look great, he was in the 90th percentile of all quarterbacks over this this year and the past year. Uh, for he had the mo- he had explosive plays and pass efficiency that were basically the staple of Alabama last year. That's what Sark brought this year. If you look at this, you know he had an EPA per play of 0.814, which is, one is amazing, negative one is terrible. That's amazing. And then if you also look at just Texas' overall EPA per pass attempt, it was 0.722. Again, one is near perfect, negative one is god-awful. That's what you're looking at here. Texas had was one of the best teams, 97.1% win expectancy victory over a ranked opponent throughout the entire game. That's just something we have not seen under Texas, a 42.6 success rate, an EPA per play, per play of 0.315. To kind of put that into perspective, Alabama against Miami, their EPA per play, was 0.153. So Texas doubled that. And their EPA per pass doubled Miami's. Their explosiveness also beat Miami, uh, beat Alabama, I'm sorry. Beat Alabama's. Alabama's was 1.51 in terms of explosiveness for advanced statistics. Texas is 1.62. You didn't see that under Charlie Strong. You didn't see that under Tom Herman. You didn't see that last year's of Mac Brown. The advanced statistics are starting to fall Texas or fell Texas's way in this one game. So, yes, like all of it is pointing towards that was a great performance. I feel like it was backed up by the game plan that they had. You're talking we talked about preparedness. We talked about the play calls. 
And I, on top of that, I felt like the personnel usage was phenomenal there. We finally used our best players the most. We weren't trying to force something. You know, you're using B. John Robinson in the slot, trying to get him paired up against a linebacker. It was against the nickelback, I believe. But still, that's a mismatch right there. And that's that's what you're doing. You're getting your personnel in a place to succeed, which is something that seems very simple, but has been terribly difficult for Texas to do over the past decade. It's as good an opening game as I've seen in a long time. Now we get the real test. <laughs> yeah, so but what did y'all not like? We can gush about this game all day long because it felt good. It just generally felt good to win and win convincingly over a ranked opponent. We haven't had that again since 2009. Or I guess 2018 against Georgia. But what do we not like? They took their foot off the gas both offensively and defensively. You know, the all the all gas, no brakes. Well, you don't need brakes if you take your foot off the gas. And in the fourth quarter, they got sloppy. They got sloppy on missed tackles. They got sloppy on missed assignments on offense. And they let Louisiana gain what? Like 140 yards, I think, of offense in that fourth quarter. Um, maybe if you're Alabama, you can do that. But when you're trying to build a culture, you need to put them away and keep them away. That was the only thing that, that gave me pause was, I know it's human nature, but it just looked like in the fourth quarter, it was like, oh, we've got this. Yeah, I think that maybe happened to, in my eyes, happened more on defense than it did on offense, just because mm-hmm. you switched quarterbacks in the late third quarter when Casey Thompson came in and finished out the game. I think at that point, Sarkeesian, yeah, maybe he did let off the gas a, a little bit, but I also think he was just running at that point because the game was in hand. It's very possible Sark just kind of went vanilla just so he didn't have anything else on tape for this week. Defensively, I noticed it a lot more. After Texas went up 35 to 12 and or 38 they're 35 to 12 and really had gotten in a position where it was like, all right, this game's over. You know, they really backed off on aggressiveness and Louisiana went right down the field and punched it into the end zone to get it back to within 17. And there were still nine and a half, 10 minutes left in the ball game. That kind of irritated me a little bit. But if I had to say the main thing that I didn't like, it was probably on the offensive line. I still have some concerns there. Granted, this is was a defensive front uh, that Texas was playing that is very experienced, that is talented, that is pretty well coached. Same thing for the offensive line that Texas was was facing. Very experienced. Uh, all these guys were returning. They know each other. They're well coached, all that stuff. So that taken in, you know, taken into effect, I would like to see better execution on the offensive line, specifically on the left side. Denzel Okafor, man, <laughs> that dude, he's just he is what he is at this point. And I I really kind of hope at some point in the season he gets supplanted in the starting lineup because he is just so atrocious in pass coverage at times. It's just, it's, he's just a turnstile. He's a solid run blocker. He really is. But when it gets into pass coverage, he doesn't move his feet well. He never has when it comes to pass blocking. Uh, Christian Jones had some of those same issues. He was playing more with his arms and his hands than he was with his feet and got beat a few times because of it. I think Christian Jones will be fine. You can see the talent there. Okafor is a six-year senior. He is what he is. I still have some concerns there. Defensively, I would have liked to see a little, I would have liked to see more penetration from the defensive front than they got. You know, like I said, competition, 
taken into into account. But I, I just I thought we were going to see a little bit more penetration from that defensive front, a little bit more disruption in the backfield. Yeah, I get that. Well, think about the defensive front though for Texas is what you saw a lot was the interior penetration kind of get in, and then you would constantly see if they got too far upfield, they'd spin back and reset the line of scrimmage so that they kept a containment on Levi Lewis and made sure that he didn't escape. Uh, you're definitely going to see that again against Arkansas with KJ Jefferson. But that that was the main thing. Uh, you know, I'm, I'll give them that. Like, hey, they're playing contained. They're trying to reset the line of scrimmage and not really get the main penetration. But what I'm not you're saying, saying they did a bad job. I just would have liked to have seen a little bit more disruption from them. Yeah. I mean, they did a good enough job that a lot of times – you know, even on run plays, they you know those linemen couldn't get out to the second level to get to Brockermeyer and Overshone, who were fantastic on Saturday. Yeah, and no, I and I get that. What I was hoping for from all the hype that this defensive line had is some somebody to blow up the inside at one point. You know, there's Keandre Coburn took on a two guys, put them on their ass, and is there for their, to you know to take on the running back, but you, you didn't see that. That might be because we've overhyped the defensive line. You know. And we underhyped the defensive ends, which is why probably we were so impressed with them. And, you know, why Jacoby Jones looks so good is because, wow, look, there's Jacoby Jones. We haven't talked about him all, all season, so, or off season, so, wow. Uh, or, you know, Ovia Gufo, right? Like, oh, that's a pleasant surprise. It wasn't fantastic, but it was a pleasant surprise. We we knew coming into this game, we talked about this last week, Will. We knew coming into this game, we had no known commodities when it came to edge rushing. Right. And we were hoping to see somebody kind of start to take that over and provide some of that because, honestly, coming into the season, there just wasn't anybody who looked at the roster and went, oh, that guy's going to do it. Mm-hmm. No, I get that. It's. I feel like that's, that's what I was, uh, you know, that's what I was hoping for, you know, somebody in the interior to kind of blow it up. I was impressed with the deep off with the linebackers. There were times where there were soft spots in your defensive backfield and your secondary, and that got taken advantage of. If they didn't, it was because a lot of times there was a lot of drop balls by Louisiana. Sure. So if there's a team like Oklahoma that won't do that, then that could be a problem. And the last thing that I would, you know, if I'm going to nitpick this game, which I am and I do, that's my nature, I felt like there are times where this team kind of out-schemed itself. In particular, that running touchdown for 27 yards by Louisiana, mm-hmm. that was an over-scheme right there. That was you trying to make something and hide something there. You got two defensive linemen on the right side of the ball, and Louisiana was like, well, let's just overload to the to the other side, and that was an easy touchdown. And you had Benda trying to run in. I think that was a little bit of late recognition by Benda too. I thought he he didn't recognize what was happening, and he got there late because mm-hmm. um, that he you know he was right there in the middle. He should have been scraped over sooner than he was, but you know. Uh, and I forget the young man who was defensive end on that play number forty three. His name escapes me right now, but he also just Jet tore Bush. up field and. Was that Jet Bush, 43? Mm-hmm. He just tore up field and took himself out of the play <laughs> Yeah, on that particular one. So that is kind of nitpicking, but I understand. Yeah, that's something that if you have, you know, K.J. Jefferson, who broke last week for a 60-yard touchdown and got called back, it's going to bite you in the butt. 
I just know that this coaching staff, they like to scheme and particularly scheme to attack. And sometimes that can come back to bite you in the butt. Steve, any negatives on your end? I, just the ones that I mentioned earlier. Yeah. I, I, I'm going to be really interested to see. I don't think they've got game plan changes much as on offense. Um, you know, Arkansas, I love this name. Their best linebacker, Bumper Pool, is going to miss the first half. Yep. Targeting and, and penalty. Their other two guys are not that good uh, at linebacker. Well, and so Morgan Graves, but yes. Well, but, you know, but, but in terms of as a group going side to side, I didn't see much. And so I think the game plans stay the same. Give a lot of Bajan, make the linebackers be aware of it, and then start using the passing game when they're concentrating on the, uh, on the running game. They do get a bit of a boost this week in their nose tackles returning. Uh, he missed the Rice game uh, due to an appendectomy that he had to have last week. I forget the young man's name, but uh, he was re- he returned to practice yesterday or today, I believe. So I think. Well, he's- and let me say this because this is breaking news. I used to be a, you know, a newscaster. Um, <laughs> I saw a tweet. Per source, one of Arkansas' starting defensive ends, Dorian Gerald, has suffered yet another season-ending injury during practice today. Oh, boy. So, yeah, so according, according to this, Dorian Gerald's out for Arkansas. That's fun. Uh, prayers to that guy. But yeah, uh, going back to the Louisiana game, just before we, before we jump ahead to Arkansas here, what does this one win here mean for the rest of the season? In terms of the rest of the season, the win over Louisiana means? Means I think the culture is starting to be established. Again, I'm talking body language and I'm talking the coaching staff getting people feeling so prepared that they're not worried when something goes wrong. I mean, you know, they kicked the field goal and I didn't see anybody not getting a rap, getting riled or anything. It was, we're going to do what we do. That's going to be good enough. And we're going to keep doing it. And it's been a long time since we've had, a well-prepared football team that felt that way and didn't get shook up when things started to go wrong. Even after Cameron Dicker missed that 45-yard field yes. goal, which gave me, you know, cringes because yeah. of past performances, the team was completely nonplussed by it. And you could see it. I mean, they just went out there and like, all right, he missed it. You know, 45 is not the easiest thing to make. You know, it's not a gimme. So he missed it. So let's go out there and do our thing. And they did. And they didn't even didn't even phase him. Winning this game. Oh, by the way, special teams were pretty good on Saturday too. Oh yeah. Let's let's oh, note that. Oh yeah. Yes. Deshaun Jameson is gonna take take home a few. Outside the return that got called back for the penalty and the dicker missed field goal, special teams was really good. So for me, what this game means is it gets Texas closer to that nine win season than you, you, I mean, obviously, than losing, right? I mean, duh, what, what an obvious statement I just <laughs> Thanks, made. Thanks, Captain Obvious, yes. Right, <laughs> but here's the thing is, if you look at the S&P Plus probability, and on the Longhorn Nation subreddit, somebody made a table basically making a prediction of where Texas will fall in terms of win based on S&P Plus win probability. You la la, Texas has 61% win probability there. Uh, Arkansas is 64%. So with that game, you basically now have a chance to put yourself for Vegas's over under of eight point five on the on the upside. That is that was one of your harder games to win this season. That was one of those toss up games that you've now 
added to the win column. To put it simply, it was a swing game. Even though it was game one, when it comes to predictive season results, it was a swing game because there were a lot of people picking Louisiana to win this game. Exactly. Games like that, Arkansas, TCU, Oklahoma State, and even West Virginia are, are those swing games this year where Texas has around a 55, uh, 60% chance uh, of winning. So those are the games that they need to win to, to stay on the other, you know, on the, the 9 10 win season track. And I guess my feeling was after watching that game and the performance, and again, I'm talking about the human factor because statistics are great, but there's always the human factor. I saw a team that felt good about itself and was ready to play for itself. And so those swing games to me are, are creeping up to 70%. Yeah. When you see what you, when you see what the product that Texas put on the field in week one against an opponent of that caliber. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you see the product the other teams put on the field. Let's be honest. Yeah. That too. Uh, Yeah. I mean, what we see as the season goes on changes those probabilities. I mean, we're, we're about to get to Arkansas. Arkansas looked like garbage for about three quarters on Saturday. Yeah. I mean, they looked like trash, which, Hey, you know, that's kind of, personifies their fan base but you know we'll get to that <laughs> yeah well you know why not do it right now let's let's go ahead and talk about arkansas and sort of really get to the heart of of this entire game and why arkansas has sold out the rivalry the history behind this game we realized coming into this podcast that we really have the three generations of texas fans here there, there's the the uh the young Will's and the millennial the young and ignorant like myself we have the I'm the, the Gen, Gen Xer, X, yep. and then, uh, and then we have the old bastard, <laughs> baby boomer to you, buddy, baby boomer to you. Uh, my parents are baby boomers. I'm okay, boomer. All due respect. Let's let's. Uh... <laughs> okay, boomer. Yeah. <laughs> so we'll start. What does this game mean to you? Is the question here, and I'll okay. start since I'm the one that it probably means the least to, because my right, you know, what I remember about the Arkansas games is when they kicked our butt in the Texas bowl. Like that's, that's really all I remember. I know we played them early in the two thousands, but you know, I wasn't, I wasn't following Texas. Like I, like I am now. I know they kicked our butt then too. Uh, You know, it just, I was two years old when the big 12 fell apart. What I think about Arkansas, what's up? Is that even when the Southwest, uh, the Conference, Southwest Conference Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Sorry. Uh, I'm just, I'm thinking ahead here. <laughs> so, you know, I, I really don't know much about Arkansas. I've heard stories. I've heard stories of people who, my friends who go up and spend the night in Arkansas, they have a Texas sticker on their car. And then like, there's people outside their hotel room throwing bottles at them. I've heard stories like that. I, I just don't know Arkansas. Like at all. Like I don't have any ill will towards Arkansas if it's not baseball. So if you grow up a baby boomer, there were three three games that were circled every year. In order, they were Oklahoma, Arkansas, and AM. Let's make it clear. Oklahoma's Darth Vader. They are number one on the hip parade. They will always be number one on the hip parade. The other two are rivals, but they are rivals as a noun. 
for me and not as a verb. Because when the, if you're talking about a rival as a verb, you're talking about somebody that competes equally. Well, frankly, neither one of those teams historically has beaten Texas near enough times to make it the intense rivalry that it is with Oklahoma. But back then, Frank Broyles and Darrell Royal made it into a national rivalry. And Broyles, let me tell you, I'll, I'll tell you how intense this is for them. Uh, part of it's paranoia is, uh, because they were the only non-Texas school in the Southwest Conference. So they felt like when they got into team meetings, they were always going to be outvoted by everybody. And the other part was the inferiority complex. Frank Broyles is one of the best coaches who's ever coached in this game. He won a national championship. He won 144 games at Arkansas. And in 19 years against Darrell Royal in Texas, he was 5-14. and 14. And they built a statue to him because he is the winningest coach ever against Texas for Arkansas. <laughs> That's how obsessed they are about this game. It is all they live for. Uh, I won't even go into some of the stories about you, because you talked about, Will, about traveling up there. What made it a rivalry was Broyles made it close and gave his fans a taste of what could be. And they became so obsessed with this one game. Uh, they were so obsessed that when Houston joined the Southwest Conference, the only way Arkansas would vote to let them in was if it didn't change the schedule and they always played Texas the week after OU. Because <laughs> they wanted that advantage. If they had changed the schedule, Broyles would not vote for Houston to come into the league. They wanted that advantage of getting Texas the that's week after they yeah. played OU. Yeah, yeah. that's funny. I, I can tell you from my perspective, as you know, I my fall semester, my first semester at Texas was the fall of 1992, which was the semester after Arkansas left for, for the SEC. So even I, at my age, didn't really grow up as a Texas fan with the Arkansas hate because I grew up for the most part in the, my formative years were in the eighties when Texas football had really started to wane over the course of that decade, Arkansas football wasn't all that much either for that matter. Both programs had really kind of started to fade um, as far as national prominence goes. And the only thing that really kind of kept it alive for me was the basketball rivalry between Texas and Arkansas, namely Tom Penders and Nolan Richardson, which really got heated up in the late 80s and early 90s after Penders got there. Those games were crazy, both up in Fayetteville and in Austin. So that kind of kept it alive for a little while. But I think the, the biggest thing, and I had a bit of a back and forth on Twitter with, uh, you know, Texas fans will know, well, her on Twitter will know I'm talking about with Texas Fancy Boots, our friend. And she is younger than me, but she hates Arkansas. I mean, with a passion. And I got a friend, a few friends of mine who are my age who hate them with a passion. I think the main thing with the Texas fandom, why it's waned for us, even though it was never as big as Steve says, with it wasn't as big as OU is because after Arkansas left a few years later, we joined the Big 12. So now OU is a member of the conference that we're in. So that amped up the OU rivalry even more than it already was because now it was a conference game. And we still had A&M in the conference. 
for Texas fans, especially my generation and yours, Will, we moved on to other things and to other teams and rivalries. Arkansas never moved on because nobody in the SEC ever took Texas's place for them. They tried to manufacture this thing with LSU. They've tried to manufacture this thing with AM since AM joined the conference. And that's been a little bit more successful as far as trying to generate some kind of heat and some kind of rivalry. But nobody ever replaced Texas for the Arkansas fan base when it comes to a main rival. And so it's just stuck with them that every time they play Texas in any sport, it is the event. Let me, let me tell you, I'll give you two quick reasons how this came about in the 1960s. First of all, because of Broyles and Royal, they were the top two teams every year. Didn't matter. Broyles understood he had to recruit in Texas to be able to have a national championship team because the talent in Arkansas, the talent in Arkansas was not there. So that meant you got to beat the teams in Texas. And that meant you have to at least be competitive and beat Texas every once in a while. The sixties were very, very competitive games. You talked about, well, the, the game of the century. We and by the way, we, I've been, I've been kind of lifting up this book called right. Ho- horns, hogs, and Nixon's coming, uh, talking about the, the, the racial t- intensity all, and, uh, between Arkansas and Texas and all of that. And uh, shout out to uh, my neighbor, Tom Ashburn, who, whose book I've had for a year now and <laughs> haven't finished. But yeah, Terry what, Frey's book is great. I highlight one of the things name. about that game I think is overlooked is uh, obviously the, the brilliance of, of ABC moving it to the end of the year. That was a afternoon game. And it was watched by one out of every two households in the country. I mean, it was called the Game of the Century million. for a reason. 50 million people out of 100 million in, the, in this country watched that game. I mean, that's more than watched any football game, really, probably since the last 30 years, 40 years. So the mindset for all those people up there is that's the biggest game of their lives, and they lost. And the at other home, quick story, they lost. Yes. And at that time, I'm in school, and I'm working uh, for the production company that did Southwest Conference football and basketball, Raycom. I ran camera on, on the games. And in basketball, I always ran the floor camera. In those days, there really weren't that big handheld. It was all bulky, and you had a tripod and all this. We're doing an Arkansas SMU game in Barnhill Arena, okay? And just because of the way the camera was situated, there was a certain small section of students behind me that I could not physically get a shot of. And they're on me all game, you know, put us on TV, put us on TV, get to a timeout. And I'm really tired of them doing that. And so one yokel goes, why won't you put us on TV? And I turn around and I go like this, hook them. I get pennies, bottles, whiskey, anything that wasn't tied down. They are, the one thing I've, been heard, I've heard consistently about their fan base is they are very Ohio State, West Virginia. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. That's that's what I sort of felt like when before this show, Steve was kind of explaining to me why the rivalry is. You were talking about how it was they just hated us so much that it became a rivalry. I was immediately thinking about West Virginia, the other show on our 
on our channel here on our network at you know the, the fire steve sarkeesian show they which, hate us because they ain't us will josh the host there was talking about you know west virginia has just made it sort of their thing where they hate texas so much that it's actually starting to work as a rivalry because we are so annoyed by their hate that we hate them yes and that sort of feels the exact same way that you were describing the Arkansas rivalry to me. They just yes. hate Texas so much that at some point it became, they would, they would rub it in our face when they beat us so much that it just, it just got annoying that it became an actual rivalry. They're basically Texas Tech. Yeah. I, I don't think most Texas fans consider West Virginia any kind of a rival. We're just kind of like Tech fans. We're just, and their fan base and how they react to things, we're just annoyed by them more than anything else. Yeah, but I'm assuming given like 50 years of that, that would probably turn into a rivalry. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> right. So, so Steve, what does this game mean to you personally as a boomer, as a man who, who grew up in that era where it became a really big game? What does this game mean to you in just general, the rivalry and this game this week? This game this week is an opportunity to establish the pattern that was and will be in the future when we're in the same league. This is an opportunity to go in there and go, guess what? We're back. <laughs> and we're going to make your life miserable. And we're starting today. I think it's the most important game outside of Oklahoma this year for recruiting. Because Arkansas now, because they're in the SEC, can now go, hey, we're going to play Texas every year. We're going to play A&M. So we can go back in there and recruit if they win. Mm -hmm. So this is a very important game, I believe, establishing going forward what to expect in the SEC. What does it mean to you in general, the rivalry? I hate them. Uh, uh, Just because they are so ignorant and so just mean to be mean. I mean, if I had to rank them, as I said, Oklahoma's Darth Vader. Uh, they will always be number one on my list. A&M is like that funny cousin of yours. He's family, and you got to tolerate him. But every once in a while, they'll embarrass themselves <clears throat> at the family reunion, and you got to put up with them. Arkansas are a bunch of meth heads who have an overzealous idea of who they are and what they should be, and you have to put them in their place. <clears throat> so... I'm ready to put them in their place. Well, wow. <laughs> yeah. You know, I'm, I'm really interested to see. I mean, the, the atmosphere is going to be crazy. And honestly, the atmosphere is the, in my opinion, is the only thing that can help, that can legitimately help Arkansas beat Texas on Saturday because they're not as talented. They are, from what I saw last Saturday, not as well coached. They do have some athletes on both sides of the ball. There's no question about that but they are not a good football team. And the, if the, the only way they're, they're going to get in, they're going to be in this game and have a chance to win is if that atmosphere rattles this Texas team. Yeah. I, I've, always, I've said all along this week that if Hudson Card doesn't throw a pick six in the first quarter, I think we can take them and keep them at bay. Or if just don't give it, up a big touchdown run to that quarterback. Right. You give them any kind of hope early. Then if the game's on, but if if we do what we did with Louisiana, march down the field, get a touchdown, 
get the ball back, march down the field, get a field goal. They will panic. They will panic. Yeah, you're right. The atmosphere of this game is a huge factor. I also wonder, a lot of the time, week one is sort of a, a mirage, especially when you don't do well against a bad team. I mean, look at Iowa State, literally year in and year out. Yeah, right? I mean, you're not wrong. I mean, week one's week one matchups, a lot of times, not for everybody, um, but a lot of times week one matchups are a bit of a crapshoot just mm-hmm. because you hadn't played. Yeah, you, you basically don't want to lose week one. Like, that's that's the goal every year. Don't lose week one. Get your sea legs and get going. I'm wondering if Arkansas's week one, they got their sea legs and they're going to get going. Also, they were probably looking ahead a week to Texas because, yeah, right, awesome, great, Southwest Conference, whatever, the mob's in town. But really what they're looking forward to is that Texas game the next week. That's like Texas looking forward to the Oklahoma game at times. That's like Texas looking forward to LSU or, you know, the USC games or the Notre Dame games, right? Where they had a poor performance in the first game and then they come out and do better in the next game. That's what I'm worried about here. Yes, what Arkansas put on tape against Rice was atrocious for the first three quarters. I don't know if I can really judge them off of that. I'm sure that they're going to put a a better team on the field because the one thing that they had going for them this year and why they had so much hope coming into this year was they're returning a lot of starters as did Louisiana. Like they were like three and seven last year, but we looked decent. We looked okay. And we're hoping to improve on that. That's that was their whole. They had a number of close losses last year. That is true. Right. But they had a different quarterback also. Yeah. And I, and I will also say this and, and he can't defend himself. So I guess I can say this. Coach Royal would not tell the press, but he would talk about playing a team like this that had a losing record the year before, but has so many people coming back. And he would say, you know what that means? It means they don't know how to win. They had so many close games last year, they didn't know how to close. And what makes you think they're going to change overnight? That's what he tells the team before going out and playing them. And I think that's what you tell this team is they don't know how to close. If you let them in the game, you're in trouble. If you don't let them in the game, you can take care of it. So now that we've gotten the atmosphere out of the way, yes. we've gotten the week one to week two sort of bump, potential bump out of the way. Let's sort of get into the offense and the defense here. And first off of this offense, they're led by an offensive coordinator that I want to just get through it because we all know him, Kendall Bryles. We know what he's brought to Arkansas. It's let, let's not, I don't even want to get into his background because we could, that's another show. Yeah. What he's going to bring is a high tempo team that will take a lot of deep shots and try to run out the gut. It's that veer and shoot that Texas tried to bring with Sterling Gilbert. That's Kendall Bryles, the five wide, the wide splits and the runs up the middle. You have your defense sort of straddle between, do we care about the middle or do we care about the outside? That was the whole Bryles offensive philosophy. That's what you're going to see here. And they have a quarterback who has a hell of an arm and can run it up the middle. They have decent wide receivers. They have one really, really good wide receiver. We'll get into him in a second. But that's sort of what we'll see here. Really, just talking about the entire team in general, Louisiana was a perfect, like I said, a dry run for this Arkansas team. They sort of kind of match Arkansas on, on pretty much every level. You know, this kid, 
KJ, he does. He is big. He's strong. He's fast. He's athletic. He does have a big arm. He's but Donovan it is McNabb. Not, it is uh, that's boy. That's that's a slight on Donovan. No, McNabb, no, no. no I'm saying I'm, he, he. That's like that's like <laughs> yeah. comparison. I'm not saying he is Donovan. I said that, but Man. I don't mean he is Donovan McNabb. That would be his comparison. He's Donovan McNabb without the ability to do what Donovan McNabb. I, does. I would actually say he's a bigger version of Reggie McNeil more than anything else because he's got all that athleticism. He's six foot three, six foot four, 230, 235 pounds. He is strong when he runs and he does have the big arm, but it is not remotely an accurate arm. And if you get him off his first read, he panics. Mm -hmm. I am much more worried about him getting loose with his legs than anything else, because I, I do think that they are going to try and run the ball spread Texas out, which is what Bryles did, spread you out to run the ball. That was always his goal. And then he would take shots down the field once you started cheating up to try and stop his run game. But, you know, with Kendall Bryles there as the OC, Texas needs to rush in their lanes and keep that kid in the pocket and don't let him get loose because if he does, that's where their offense can get some life and get started. If you prevent him from doing that, I thought the coverage – you know, it had misses here and there on Saturday, but I thought generally the coverage was pretty good. And if you get that kid off his first read, he's going to panic. I look at the Louisiana's four-year quarterback in this kid, and I think the biggest difference is I would fully expect the Texas defense to be a little more exotic this week, not as plain vanilla. I would fully expect to see maybe some twists and some other kinds of rushes. I would also fully expect to see somebody like Luke Brockmeyer be a spy on the quarterback. I'd rather have overshown, but that's just me. Well, somebody. <laughs> they'll have somebody who is a spy. So I think what you will see will be intense pressure, more than you saw in, against Louisiana, and again, showing him things and then changing them up to where when he takes the snap, it's not what he was looking at. Right. And to your point, Levi Lewis, you're right. He's, he's a much more veteran quarterback. Doesn't make as many mistakes that kind of backed him up in his past three, four years. KJ Jefferson is a guy who's going to try to make plays happen. Sort of that Sam Ellinger type player where he's more of an athlete. You're trying to fit into a quarterback role and he's going to try to make those plays that he could at the, the high school level at the level below. So he's going to try to fit balls in. He tried to do that against Rice. He got picked off. He's going to try to fit balls in, you know, 10 yards and out. Again, he has a hell of an arm, and he has a hell of a wide receiver to throw it to in Traylon Burks, who is a 6'3", 225-pound NFL prospect with speed. The guy's a nightmare matchup. So he has that guy. The rest of his guys, of his wide receivers, are okay. He has some running backs that are threats out of the backfield. But really, this team is going to go as K.J. Jefferson goes. That is it. He likes to roll left a lot. I'm gonna, Like you said, we're probably going to see some exotic blitzes, some trying to play with his head because unlike Levi Lewis, this guy is not going to be able to break it down as well. He's not going to be able to handle it as well on the fly. If you keep him in the pocket, he's a worse passer, so there's going to be a lot of contain there. It's a pretty, I don't want to say cut and dry game plan. Like We know what's going to happen. We'll just see, can they execute on that? A lot of it is also going to be this offensive line here for Arkansas. They're returning all five starters from last year. Again, sort of why they had so much optimism coming into this year. Everybody's like, why Arkansas is so bad? They're three and seven. They, they're just returning everybody. They return all five starters. They're huge. They're big guys. And then we have Sam Pittman as their head coach, the offensive line guy for Georgia. 
but they are up and down. They're just an up and down offensive line. They even showed it against Rice. Again, it's week one, whatever. We'll see if this offensive line can deal with the Texas defensive line. It feels like they're a bunch of Denzel Okafors or like Kristen Jones. Yeah, they're upperclassmen, but... Are they good upperclassmen? Right. Right. We'll see. You know, they're less disciplined than that that Louisiana team. They're not as... You know, Louisiana wasn't as big, but they're more disciplined. These guys are bigger. So we'll see how they can handle because if Texas can stuff up the middle and, and make sure that KJ Jefferson doesn't go anywhere and that their run game, their run game doesn't go anywhere and they're just over the top, Arkansas's finished. They can't do anything. But if Texas can't get to the quarterback or lets him loose and they're able to just throw bombs on Texas all day long, that's a problem. You know, again, I go back to the first quarter. It's going to be so important in this game because it's the first road game for this staff and this mm-hmm. team. And, and it is Fayette now. I mean, it is one of the places you have the hardest time in. So hold your own for that first quarter. Let them try to do too much because they're so pumped up. Let them try to make the mistake. I think we'll see a lot of Bajan and a lot of counter work in that first uh, quarter. And I think we'll see a much more aggressive defense. I can't wait. You think we'll see Bijan on the punt return too? <laughs> return and kick return, maybe playing some quarterback. You know, yeah. That's the other and thing we can throw. Right. That's the other thing we should mention. Uh, their special teams last year were horrible. Atrocious. And they weren't any better this week. So I think that's a really overlooked area where I was really I mean, like we did things last week like, you know, call a timeout rather than take a penalty on the long fourth down. Mm. We made the proper substitution. We were prepared for the onside kick. I mean, how wonderful was that? And so I think we have an advantage in special teams, and I think that may be very, very important. I absolutely agree so, we have an advantage in special teams. My big worry for this game, and it comes back to the crowd and the atmosphere, is communication across the offensive line, making sure they pick up whatever Barry Odom throws at him. Barry Odom is a good defensive coordinator. Yes, very good. Yes. And the decision-making of Hudson Card, which was very good on Saturday, but – they got a kid in Catalan in a safety who is a legit stud back there. If you make mistakes over the middle of the field, intermediate to deep range, he'll make you pay. I remember covering that dude in recruiting. Yeah. And it was just like, it, it was more of like a, where do you put him? And can you get him to fit into your system well enough to, to get him to succeed at the next level? Like that's that was the thing. They did that well with Jalen Catalan. I mean, that dude is just... He's a redshirt sophomore, so it means he's really, what, junior, senior this year or something like that? Yeah. Incredibly. Like, that dude is just everywhere. He's a ball hawk. He's up in the line. He, he reminds me of Quandre Diggs, but as a safety. He has the, the build. He has the, the mentality. It's just all there. And, and really, they're just strong up the middle. Like, they have, as you talked about earlier, Steve, they have Bumper Pool, who, again, you're right, great name. He was going to Arkansas all the way. He was highly rated recruit, and his parents and grandparents went to Arkansas, so it's like, yeah, I'm going to Arkansas. They also have a, another guy, Grant Morgan, who was out for that entire game, but is at 5'10", 230 pounds, it's kind of like Gary Johnson when Gary Johnson had Malik Jefferson next to him, a guy who can run around as their mic and, and do well, and then Jalen Catalan on the back end. So, again, Arkansas, this defense is underrated. 
they run that four, two, five. So they got those two guys up front, your two guys behind them. And then your one guy way behind them. I feel like Barry Odom is going to try to bait this freshman quarterback to go over the middle and try to throw some passes in Jalen Catalan's wheelhouse. Uh, as well as use those late blitzes that were so effective for Louisiana. Louisiana had three sacks all coming on late blitzes, cornerback blitz, late linebacker blitzes, and just delayed blitzes in in general. That's sort of what Barry Odom has. He has the cornerback blitzes he can throw. They did that against Rice. They got, I believe, a turnover that way. They have the linebackers to spare for that. I mean, both those guys, Rumperpool and Grant Morgan last year, 212 tackles combined. They have the talent there. Now, where they don't have the talent is is that defensive line. And as you talked about, Steve, they, they just lost one of their defensive ends. They do get their defensive, you know, their nose tackle, their defensive tackle coming back this week. But still, I mean, it's a bunch of grad transfers and senior transfers on this defensive line. They're okay. They're not great. The rest of that defense is amazing. And Barry Odom is just, he's a wizard. Uh, you know, I'll say for the old timers, Catalan is Jerry Gray. Uh, that's the kind of safety Jerry Gray was. Mm. He could support the run. He could cover one-on-one deep. Uh, and he also had a highly intelligent football IQ, which Catalan does as well. You have to know where he is on the field at all times. Yeah, my big worry is going to be, and you know, we saw this on Saturday. Hudson Card did it well, even when he was pressured, which he was because of some breakdowns up front. Just make solid decisions and don't give them the ball. If Texas can prevent, can keep themselves from turning the ball over, especially in their own end of the field, it won't give Arkansas, I think, the life that they need, especially from the crowd, to really affect this game. Yeah, right. I think you made a really good point earlier that the communication on that off the line is going to be very important, especially with these linebackers, Bumper Pool and Grant Morgan. They're going to be used a lot to blitz. Jalen Catalan is going to be up on the front. There's going to be a lot of motion around that. And those defensive linemen, again, not their strong suit, but their job is going to be to muddy it up so that these linebackers can come in and make plays. It's going to be very important for our running backs and for our offensive line to be able to give – our quarterback, a very clean pocket. Now we talked about this with Hudson card and Casey Thompson. The difference between them is one's a playmaker and one has that arm talent. Again, that basically means one's really good in the pocket. One's really good when the pocket collapses. Hudson card is the one who's good in the pocket. When he had a pocket, he was 11 for 13 and averaged 10, 13 yards a pass. I believe when he wasn't, he was a lot worse. It's going to be very important for them to keep Hudson Card on his feet this entire game. Jacob, what do you think is going to be the key uh, in this game plan for this week? Uh, Even more so than we saw this past Saturday, offensively running the ball and not turning it over on defense, you got to keep Jefferson from getting loose with his legs. If those things happen, I think Texas wins this game handily. Mm -hmm. Steve, what do you think? It is the kind of game to where Texas can wear them down. Arkansas is going to make plays. Catalan is going to make plays. That quarterback is going to make a play. If you don't let them become successive, in other words, where one big play falls, another falls, another. But if you understand that they are going to have some success, just play the game you came in to play. This is one of those games where I see where the line right now is seven. 
you know, and I, I think, yeah, I think it's going to be close, but I also think Texas has superior depth and superior talent. That line has gone up, by the way. It started at three and a half, and it's ballooned, right. It's right. ballooned up to seven to seven to eight, depending on where you look. Seven to eight, and I, I could see close, you know, game, but a thirty-four twenty-one Texas win. Yeah, I can see that. I think it's going to be very important for Texas to be able to get to the second level on their runs, especially if they're doing an outside zone. Make sure those linebackers can't get can't get there, so that they're testing those outside. Uh, defensive ends and and cornerbacks and safeties instead of Bumper Pool and Grant Morgan. They did really well on that last year with those outside zones. Last year, last week. They they started doing well with that last year until they stopped. That was when they decided to have some success on the ground under Tom Herman. Uh, (laughs) So I think that's going to be important. I think, like you said, getting getting off to a hot start would be great. You know, make sure that you don't have a 3-1 lead because we all know how 3-1 leads end. And make sure that you put your foot on the gas when you get to that point. So, I think that's going to be it for us, y'all. We, we look forward to this game. Uh, it's going to be fun. But, yeah, uh, that's going to be it. That's going to do it for us. Uh, this has been 4th and 5, your Longhorn Nation podcast. I've been your host, Will Bazer. You guys can find me on Twitter at W-I-L-L-B-A-I-Z-E-R. Uh, I guess I should let the guests, guests go first. That's That's my bad. Steve. Yes, sir. Steve, where can we find you and your work and uh, anything you want to plug? That, that's on me. I feel like an ass. <laughs> <laughs> at at, at SRR50 on Twitter. And uh, I do a little work for Inside Texas as well. Uh, when I, and uh, <laughs> I, I'm just kind of uh, uh, not so innocent bystander. That's how I call myself right now. You know? <laughs> and I like, I like to talk about it. And I like to, I've enjoyed being here with you guys. And uh um, I'm really looking forward to this season. My friends at Longhorn Network call me the rumor monger. At this point. <laughs> um, people can find me on Twitter at, at Kips underscore big underscore boy. Um, I mean, I'm on the message boards as Kips Big Boy as well. So when I feel like piping in, I do. But uh, that's basically where you can find my opinions on such things. You guys can find us and our other shows right here on the Hornscast channel. Find the Horsecast channel where you find your podcasts. Uh, also on the Longhorn Nation subreddit and on Twitter. So uh, go ahead and give us a follow. Go ahead and find us there. And uh, we will see y'all next week. Hook them. Hook them. Thank you. Thank you.